Welcome to the Care to Change podcast. We're grateful to have you join us today. We begin a new series this month with topics relating to breaking free. On this episode, April and our two guests, John Goings and Larry Vinson, talk about breaking free from what they experienced at war. Thank you for being a part of this conversation as we hope to offer you practical solutions for positive change. Welcome back, everyone. This is April Bordeaux, the director here at Care to Change. And as always, I am so grateful that you have chosen to spend your time with us today. We are in July, uh, July 4th, so Independence Day. Uh, what better way to begin your day than to have this conversation we're about to have today? We're starting a new series. The series is called Breaking Free. And today we are talking about breaking free from what I experienced at war. And so we have invited two veterans to our podcast today. And I'm really excited to have both of you here with us today. If you are in the military or have been in the military or have a loved one, this one today is for you. We really want to offer you some practical solutions so that you can live a life that's productive and fulfilling. And so I want to introduce our guest today. We have John Goins. John, thank you for being here today. Thank you. I'm going to let you tell us a little bit about yourself in a moment. And we have Larry Vinson here with us today. Larry, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And uh, happy birthday, America. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like we have to say that on July 4th. July 4th. Why not? Right. So why don't we start today just giving the listeners a little bit of an insight into what branch of service you are in, sort of what you've seen, just so they know a little bit about who you are. John, you want to start? Uh, sure. Name's John. I was um, U.S. Army Reserve and then deployed to Operation Desert Storm in 1990, exactly 365 days from the start of basic training to my first deployment and spent eight months overseas in support of that and ran around chasing tanks basically uh, with with gas. So, <laughs> All right. I remember Desert Storm I wonder how many of our listeners were around for Desert Storm. Yeah, it's right? kind of a forgotten war. Right? It, it is, but I remember it like it was yesterday. So I was uh, in second grade, John. Thanks. You're thanks. welcome. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, John, at least you and I are in the same age bracket, right? right? Well, um, thank you for your service. Thank, thank you for you. what you've done over there. I, I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. Larry, tell us about you. Yeah, so um, I was in the uh, Army, Ohio Army National Guard um, from 2001 to 2011. Um, I was actually in basic during 9-11. 9-11 happened when I was in basic training. And then a couple of years later, uh, I deployed uh, to um, Iraq and Kuwait in, uh, in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom for uh, 365 days boots on ground from that was 0304. Uh, during uh, war operations and then whatever we called it after that. And then, yeah, I got out in 2011. 2011. And thank you also, Larry, for your service. My pleasure. It seems now I've, I'm watching even as my, my nephew is um, over at the Citadel now in his training and I'm watching and he just seems like a kid and yet he's a young man and I'm looking at that age thinking, oh my word, this is the age so many 
of our soldiers are going over and fighting and, and fighting for our freedom. And they just seem like little babies now that I'm, I'm watching my nephew do this on this end, you know, and knowing that he's going to be sent over even this summer for a little bit and thinking, oh, wow. And I just know you come back different than you go, right? And yeah. so um, I should let the listeners know as well, because I, I failed to introduce another guest that we have who won't be speaking, but you may hear from her. That's Sierra. We have a service dog here with us today. So if you hear any grunting or, or potentially barking, I don't know what she'll do right now. She seems pretty comfortable laying here on the floor. But if you hear anything like that, that's our, our guest, Sierra, who's a service dog with us today. Okay, well, you two have seen a lot and been through a lot. And I have heard uh, your stories a little bit when we've had roundtables with church leaders and community leaders to talk about really suicide prevention. And when we've talked about really healing and hope in different aspects. So I've had the pleasure of understanding a little bit more about your story just from when you've been on these panels and shared, but I know our listeners may not have been uh, there listening and hearing your stories. So what I what I would like to do is really just help our listeners understand a little bit. I'm not asking you to, you know, go into any sort of detail, anything like that. But just what is different from your perspective? You know, you you entered into the service for a reason, right? There was something that said, I'm going to sign up for a reason. I want to start there kind of what made you say, yep, this is what I want to do? And how did you pick the branch that you picked? John? Well, I would be, oh gosh, I'm probably, oh man, the eighth, ninth generation yeah. of Army. My grandfather's World War II. I have one of their flags hanging in my living room. My father, uh, he was uh, Vietnam, two tours. And my brother was National Guard. And I, I'm distinctly remember my brother walking through the house one day and he had his class A's over his shoulder mm. and I was probably six or seven years old and I remember seeing those that uniform and that those he had uh, corporal stripes on his arm and I, I'll re never forget that that moment and I think right then's when I knew that and I was going to be 25 when I graduated high school um, <laughs> turns out there's girls in high school and right. I, I, I was pretty happy about that so I stuck around <laughs> yeah a lot and uh, so I just, I, it, it was always going to be the army. Always. always. Army. In our family, it was the Navy and I, I was my grandfather and then my dad and then my brother. And now I'm watching my nephew. So I, I can relate to the, how it kind of passes through. And for us, it was all Navy. Yeah. So I, my I can... daughter's National Guard right now. She just completed basic training, combat wow. engineer, same unit I was in, same platoon. Wow. So wow. Uh, she goes back in July uh, 25th. Uh, yeah. July 25th for, uh deployed to get her combat engineer training so oh, it's like you're so proud and nervous all at one time mm -hmm. right like I just get so, I'm so proud and then I'm like oh no you know so what about you Larry yeah so mine isn't as uh, honorable as John uh, <laughs> um, I, I didn't know my father's side I actually ended up finding out later on that I have uh, generational um, uh, service people in my in my family I my grandfather was in World War II um, as well. So I didn't know that, you know, and I, I kind of grew up in a chaotic environment, mm -hmm. um, a lot of turmoil, a lot of stress, and I just wanted to get out. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that I wanted to go to college, uh, but I knew that there was no way I was going to afford it. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and I remember this army recruiter came into our high school 
uh, and said, uh, you know, and, and looked at me and says, you'd be great for the army. And I remember I told him, there is never a chance that mm-hmm. I am ever going to enlist or sign up for the army. Like that is never going to happen. And I think it was like a month later, I called him up. He says, I figured you'd be calling me back. Right. Uh, and so I, uh, so I signed up and, uh, you know, I was 17 when I signed up and, uh, my mom was really quick to sign that release form. Like, really? <laughs> like she was like, yes, please. You need this more than anybody else. Oh, uh-uh. Uh, so yeah. So I signed up, uh, mainly for, um, you know, for help to, uh, get into college and, and things like that. And I mean, let's not disregard the fact that I do love my country and, right. um, and I wanted to serve in this kind of a way. Mm-hmm. That's, and that's what I hear. You know, there's so many different reasons why, whether yeah. it's like I want out or it's, it's in my family. That's just what you do. Or, you know, it's honorable. I want to, I want to protect my family and I want to protect my country and whatever the reason, there's lots of different reasons why. And, I think it's really interesting. You said you were 17, Yeah, you know, and we know, we know this, we know, and we say it here on the podcast. We, we talk to our, our families that come in, you know, the brain isn't even fully developed. Like you don't even have your full logic, the portion of your brain fully developed when you're signing up for something. And then, you know, being deployed and going overseas and seeing all of the things that people see and the brain isn't even fully developed. So it really, uh, impacts how the brain is being developed, not just basic and all that you experience when you're going through your training, but then when you're sent overseas, you know, the impact on actual brain development. And I know that's not what you guys came to talk about, but from our end, you know, as therapists, we, we know it impacts the way the brain is developed and how mood and emotion is regulated. And so then, so you've signed up, you go through your, your, your training and then at some point you get your orders. Both of you went overseas. And so at some point you, you knew you were going over. Do you remember what it felt like when you knew you were headed over? I see they're, they're both yeah. nodding. So John, you want to tell us what, 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 what was it like before you went over and you knew you got your orders? You know, I, uh, I, <laughs> I, my, my first Sergeant came out to the, to, uh, cause I was a reservist. My, my first Sergeant came out and he had a he pulled a wadded up piece of paper out of his pocket with a little golf pencil. And he said, if you want to go overseas, sign this piece of paper. Cause we're not going to go. This mm-hmm. unit is not going. And so I went ahead and signed it, you know, I'm like, sure, whatever. Um, and that would have been September of 1990 and, uh, November 15th of 1990, they called me and, and wow. I had, uh, they called me at like nine o'clock at night and I had to go to, uh, I had to go down to Camp Atterbury and get rid of all my TA-50 back to my unit. And then I had to be in Scottsburg, Indiana by 5.30 the next, that same morning to get reissued new TA-50 because I was now going to go with a different unit. And I remember it the whole time. Didn't Never thought about where I was going and what I was doing. It was just the fact that I was getting to go, mm-hmm. um, you know, because I was one of uh, 53 volunteers of that unit that, that came in to help them out to build their strength. And, uh, I was, I was excited about it. Um, it wasn't until it it probably wasn't until about three weeks later that it actually hit me where I was going and what I was doing. Mm. And, and then it was a little more, uh, the reality hit. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I always make the joke. I turned uh, 18 in basic training and I turned 19 in a foxhole in Saudi Arabia. So I remember it to the, to the day, just exactly what it was like. And isn't it ironic, you know, you're, you're 17, 18, 19, so you sign up before you're even allowed to vote. 
and then you go overseas before you're even allowed to take a legal <laughs> drink of alcohol, and yet you're over there fighting, right? Yeah. That's to me, it's just the age and the timeline just is uh, just really something. What about you? Yeah, so uh, similar actually to 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 John, uh, I was. Uh, I was at church. I, I'm a man of faith, uh, as you know. People in this room know, but you may not know in in, in mm-hmm. Radio Land. Radio Land. That sounds good. Radio. What's the radio? I know. I, I get. I'm, I'm so old. Sometimes right? I feel. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I was. Uh, I I w- I came home from from church. Uh, I was living with some friends of mine, and there was a, a message on the answering machine. Yes, those things did exist back then, uh, and uh, they asked if I would volunteer. Uh, to go to Iraq. Um, and I remember that I did not necessarily want to go. And, and so I was like, so I called them back and I was like, Hey, can I pray about this? Can I, cause I, I just don't know how I feel about this right now. And mm-hmm. they said, yeah, but you only have until Monday, you know? So the military waits for no man, not even God. Um, so they, <laughs> they, uh, they gave me about 24 hours to give them notice. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I purposely, went to um, seven or eight of my friends who I knew mm-hmm. would say no, like would absolutely say, no way, you're staying home, don't mm-hmm. you dare. And they all said, yes, you should go. Like we, they wow. all felt that this is what God was wanting me to do, right? And, uh, and the eighth person who had no idea what we were talking about uh, came into where I was at the time at college at the dorm room and she looked at me and she said, look, I don't know what you're running away from right now She said, with God, she said, but just, just stop asking. You know what God wants you to do. Just go. Wow. So I volunteered. Uh, I was, uh, I think, what, 19 years old or about to turn 19 years old. I can't remember exactly how, but I remember I turned 20 in Iraq. Uh, they, you know, they said it was your, you know, your golden birthday is the same day as how old you are, you know, it's supposed to be your best birthday ever. Mm-hmm. I was 20 years old on May 20th, getting a root canal in Iraq. It was the worst birthday I think wow. I ever had. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but you know, look, I volunteered. Um, I, I was proud of volunteering. I thought it was what God wanted me to do. And, you know, I wouldn't have traded it in for the world. That's really a remarkable story, you know, because I, I have so many questions about that, knowing I know a little bit bit more of your story I know you'll share with us here today and when you say you feel like God called you over there yeah. like I, I think I might be mad at God yeah. right so I want to I want to go there in a minute but I want to just sort of track the story a little bit before we go there so you you know you're going um, you do all that's required to prepare at least you know physically prepare looking back were you prepared not not in terms of training and what you were going to do but were you prepared? No. I mean, I, John, were you? <laughs> <laughs> no. No, right? no. I mean, no. <laughs> yeah, there, 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 there is no preparation for the mental, the right. emotional, the relational right. um, junk that a soldier goes through, especially at 18, 19. Right. You know, and, and I know we're talking about young ages here, but also if you're like 50s, 60s, 40s, right. I saw dudes way older than me mm-hmm. breaking down right. um, emotionally because and their families breaking down right. because of this deployment. Yeah. So then you go over and this is why the people that you're with really become family mm-hmm. because they are your family over there. You're, you're completely away 
not reliable access to connecting back home, whether you wanted to be connected back home or not. And so everything changes. Now you're over there. Did you both know how long you would be? And did the time change? Because I know sometimes like, we don't know sometimes like, well, it's only supposed to be and then it ends up there. They're, you know, Larry's smiling, like, are you kidding? John's like, no, 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 we, we had no idea. Um, when we were deployed, you know, desert storm was, it hadn't happened. I mean, it, I was there in, you know, in the, uh, desert shield portion of the project mm-hmm. where we were just bolstering troops into the desert to mm-hmm. defend against Iraq. And we had, they, they, there was no end date for our deployment. Um, we went there with open orders. It mm-hmm. was, I, I, I still have my orders at home. And there's still nothing, there's nothing on there. It just gives our names and it doesn't say when you're coming home. It just assumes that you'll be there. We assumed until the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Lucky for us, we turned the, you know, fourth largest army in the world to the second largest army in their own country in a hundred hours. We did it effectively. And Mm -hmm. so we were home within eight months. Um, But, you know, there was open orders. We Mm -hmm. were going and we're going to go until it was done. To me, I just think about you're stepping into a land that's unknown yeah, and with a timeline that is unknown and just stepping into the unknown and uh, truly, again, you know, the psychology of safety, right? And the very, you know, in, in the hierarchy of needs, safety is foundational and the way to establish safety is to have some predictability or some knowns, right? And here you are, without even realizing it, stepping into the biggest world of unknowns, not to mention what happens when you are there, but knowing that you're stepping into something, you know, and, and this is why we say, you know, thank you isn't enough, because you're going over to protect a land in a place that is so unsafe with so many unknowns. And so that's why when we say, you know, thank you isn't enough because of what it takes just to this point. And we haven't even talked about then what happened those eight months for you, John, for example, you know, like eight eight months, short, but long, right? Like you're whatever age you are now, and that was eight months. And, you know, some people do a year or two years, whatever it is, it's, you know, long and short all at one time. And so now you're over there and you spend your time over there serving, serving well, seeing things, uh, experiencing things, watching things happen. And then it's time for you to come back. All right. So I'm going to move forward because a lot happens in that time, right? And now it's time for you to return home. When you find out that you're coming home, What's that like? Do you remember? One, you don't believe it. I mean, uh, uh, that's number one, because throughout this entire deployment, you're told these, this is the definitive date you're going to leave. And then that gets pushed back a week, two weeks, three weeks. We, I spent two extra months at Camp Atterbury uh, before Mm -hmm. I actually went over to Iraq. Right. Right. And then we were supposed to, we had six month orders that got extended Mm -hmm. to 365 days boots on ground. Right. Right. Um, and then we, we knew of infantry divisions uh, that were over there that um, were only supposed to be there for a year and ended up being over there for two years, mm-hmm. right? And so we, we have seen people in planes, in the air, 
with the plane turning right back around landing right. because they needed them to stay longer. So our, our mentality when we left was until our feet touch American soil, right? we are not going to believe mm-hmm. that we are going home. Yeah. Like we, I remember, I remember specifically telling uh, my fiance at the time, Heather, mm-hmm. um, listen, there's a chance we're going home. But do not get your hopes up until you know right. I have called you from America. Yeah. And, and at that point, then start planning. Yeah. Because at that yeah. point, you know, it's just so it's just so hard. Yep. You just don't know. Yeah, and John's John's over here nodding, <laughs> and this is what I this is over and this is the same thing. Yeah. Over. And this is not a unique. It's like until I'm standing there and I see your eyes, don't believe. Yeah. Right. Don't believe that it's that it's it's a done deal. Yep. That I'm back. So there's some, okay, maybe, but maybe not. Can't let your guard down yet, right? No. Don't let your guard down yet because you don't know. You don't want to get too excited because there's just disappointment. You learn the lesson the hard way, I know. Okay, and so then you land. And there's this whole life that's happened here while you've been away. And everybody cannot wait for you to get back. Whoever your loved one is or loved ones are waiting for you to get back. And to share what's been happening while you've been away. And meanwhile, you've experienced a whole lifetime every single day. And so you return. What do you remember the first thing? So the, the first thing, what is, what, what is your first memory when you land? They're both smiling. They, they already know it. You already know what your memory is. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it, it's, I mean, when we landed, we landed at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. Um, and they bust us back to, I actually deployed out of Fort Ben Harrison. Mm. I did desert training in Fort Ben Harrison in November in Indianapolis. Wow. So you Sounds can, right. yeah, you can imagine how much fun that was, <laughs> but we returned to Fort Ben Harrison. Uh, what's now their YMCA there, their, their big YMCA. They had, uh, all our family members were inside there. And, uh, when we pulled up on the bus, I'll never forget it. We had, we had five guys in our unit that were uh, Vietnam veterans mm. and we sent them in. <laughs> so we all stayed on the buses. We sent those five individuals in and they got a celebration and we just let them have it and savor it for a minute um, because they, they had never received that. Oh, yeah. So the, those, those guys got, I, I, that was the part that, you know, you joked all the way down the road on the bus, you know, you're pointed out, Oh, look, there's the NCO club. Yay. I'm so happy to be back. It, you know, none of us were really thinking about that. We were just thinking about what was inside those doors. And I, I just remember that, you know, sending those guys in there and just, you know, it, it broke your heart for, for them mm-hmm. not getting that when, when they came home. Yep. So yep. we tried to make it a little, I guess, a little easier on ourselves or maybe better for them. Or I don't, I don't know what our reasoning was, but mm-hmm. it was just something. But I, I remember that feeling mm. just so well. Mm-hmm. Well, and because of the hard work that, um, you know, uh, Desert Storm soldiers did, that wasn't an experience for our Vietnam vets because by 2003, Vietnam vets had been getting more, a little bit more recognition. So thank you for that uh, because they deserve all of it. You know, I, I remember my, my, first, um, my first memory outside of just seeing my, uh, my fiancé and her family uh, there at um, Kettering is where our armory unit was. Um, it, it, outside of that, I remember that it was freezing rain outside. 
Uh, and you just went from 80 degree, 90 degree weather, mm-hmm. and now you're in 30 degree weather. And it's just a shock mm-hmm. to your system, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was like, man, I forgot what cold feels like, right? And right. I hated it. I hated every second of it. But I, the, the one biggest memory that sticks into my head is when I went to go back to my hometown. Um, I'm from Mason, Ohio, which is Kings Island area for those who don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and they had done some construction, um, some major construction while I was gone. All of the monuments or, you know, um, things that existed around like you, like, you know, voice of America is right there. Mm-hmm. That was all torn down and turned into parks and stores had been put mm-hmm. up all in a year. Right. Right. And then they rerouted the main road. And so uh, when I was going home, it was nighttime. I, I, I was driving to my house, the house that I grew up in, and I got lost. And I remember I called my sister up crying and like, I don't know where I am at. I don't know how to get home. I don't know how to do any. And so my sister was like, Larry, where are you? And I was just a few turns away, but I couldn't just, mm. my brain could not click. I couldn't figure out how I got from where I started to where I ended because I didn't know the, the road had got rerouted. Mm. You know, uh, that was that was my biggest first memory coming home from Iraq. And this is, you know, just to sort of parcel this out a little bit, you know, what you, you mentioned the, the hot to cold, the temperature difference. And I think sometimes what people don't realize is the smell is different. Yep. Oh, right. God, yeah. yeah. The food, even if it's a burger, tastes different. Mm-hmm. So milk isn't milk if you if you even get that. So the food is different. So what you're eating is different. The smells are different. What you see, I mean, the landscape is completely different, right? And what you're wearing every single day, you're not putting on your cozy PJs at night and grabbing your soft pillow, right? And so how you're sleeping and where you're sleeping and the environment is different. How you're showering is different, right? (laughs) Um, You're not walking down the hallway with your fuzzy slippers on, adjusting the temperature, turning on the water, waiting for it to get warm, complaining about the water pressure, jumping in, right? Like how you, how you bathe is different. So every, what you hear during the day, what you hear during the night, what you're listening for and your ears sort of get attuned to, Oh, it's coming closer. Oh, it's further away. So what you're hearing is different. And and then the textures, sort of everything you feel while you're over is different. So you're not feeling the softness of your, you know, fiance's skin. You're not like petting your cat that's right next to you. So everything sensorially. So all of the senses are impacted. It's not just what you go over and you have this experience and then you come back. It's every single thing that you can experience is different. So when you come back, it's not just, oh my gosh, here's my loved one to hug you. Everything's great. Like you said, okay, the roads feel different. Maybe you're driving, maybe you're not driving. So who knows, but every single thing. So all of a sudden the smells are different. And this is the reason why, you know, we talk, when we talk about PTSD and we're going to go into that conversation here, but in flashbacks and, um, Someone can be at a restaurant and have a flashback. Why? This, there's a smell. There's a smell that's different. A sound comes in. The sound is different. Um, a sight might remind you. A color might remind you. And so p- people who aren't in this field don't understand. Like, well, you're home now. You're safe. Come on. We're so excited. Let's have this party. And 
They're like, well, all of my senses are in shock right now because they went over and I had to get acclimated to survive. And now I'm back and I have to get acclimated again. But I've had these experiences that tell me when I smell or see or feel or hear these things, I was unsafe. And so immediately my body is transported, whether you realize it or not, transported back to where survival was key. It's life or death, right? And so when you say, oh, you know, everything was different and this was so, you know, it was rerouted. It was like your brain was already on overload. And this is the thing. You're not told that, oh, by the way, when you come back, things are going to look different. Things are going to smell different. Like that's not part of the training, right? And so when you come back, it's like, oh, yay. Okay, come on over. Like, oh my gosh, look at the green grass and everything feels so different, right? And so you're almost looking at the same thing through completely different eyes, aren't you? Like it's almost like someone took uh, war goggles and put them over your eyes. Um, And so now you're seeing everything a little bit differently. And it's hard to describe to people who haven't been over there or haven't experienced what you two have experienced that, yeah, it's the same, but nothing is. So, it's not, and it's not something that you notice either. Right. It's not like we noticed. And I don't know, maybe John did, but I, I, it's not something that we noticed that, you know, oh man, this is all different mm-hmm. because we expected it to be the same. Right. We expected everything right. to go back to, <clears throat> excuse me, normal. Right. Uh, and it didn't. Right. And, and and that I think scared us most, more than anything. And and you have a a language. When you all come together and you're all talking, you have a language that's different and you can say a word or, or a phrase instantly. There's a connection. You two didn't serve at the same time, but you already have a connection. When you use a word, you guys know what it is. It's almost like it. There's a, there's this own little language, this own little world, this own little culture, um, that military and military families experience. And it creates a kinship, but it also creates a, a disconnect because other people don't understand. So all of a sudden your experience is very different. And how do you find people who understand that, right? Because your loved ones love you, but they may not understand now, right? And it's a little, and it's not, they love you less. It's just, well, this experience is so different. So how do I, how do I explain it? And everybody's still running forward because here in our Western culture, Let's go to the next party and let's celebrate that you're here. And great churches on Sunday, you come in and um, we got dinner plans. And they're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, like I, I'm getting used to, oh my gosh, the smell on my pillow. Right. Ask John a question about <laughs> yeah. this because <clears throat> I feel like active duty has an advantage. Uh, when we say active duty, we mean people who work full time every day in the military <clears throat> uh, active duty has an advantage that reservists and national guards guardists don't have, uh, because when we when active duty gets back to uh, from a deployment, they have those fellow soldiers on the base. Mm-hmm. Their whole life is surrounded by military, <clears throat> right? But right. a national guard and a reservist, uh, you know, we go back to our civilian side of things into a world that does not understand us. Yep. Um, and so John, I mean, is that, was that the same kind of an experience you, you felt as a reservist, like, Mm -hmm. you know, that you didn't see that you didn't have people that connected with you as much as you would want? You know, it, it pretty much exactly when, you know, I went from being in Saudi Arabia, you know, and one minute and 18 hours later, I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. And, 
you know, then today that happens, but you know, we didn't, everything, every communication we had was with snail mail. We would, mm-hmm. now I was, I was guilty of stealing a truck once or twice and running up to the phone bank, but <laughs> You know, there you was acquired, John. You didn't steal. I was requisition. <laughs> yes. You're being but, resourceful. Yeah. You know, I, I, I went up to the phone bank and my mom had actually set up a 1-800 number because she worked at uh, Ameritech. So I actually had a 1-800 number I could call and talk to my mom. But, you know, everything was snail mail. Everything was difficult. Communication wise was difficult. So when I show back up 18 hours later in Indianapolis, Indiana, and here's my family you know um it was i got three days break before i had to go back to fort ben and you know and then go through all the checkups and the taps and all that but that that is exactly right because i mean it took what a week and in a week after i was back from desert storm i was a lifeguard at the community pool in my apartments and here I am wow. laying on a concrete pool deck, you know, watching a bunch of kids swim. And I'm like, wow, you know, and it never, it, I don't think it ever clicked that it didn't click that I was back at all. I mean, or, or that I had even left. It, it's just that weird, yep. yeah, weird dichotomy there that because it, it's like you never left, but you never came home. And yet you have to act like you're normal. Yeah. Yeah. You, you have to, you have to fit back into the society that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't get you or understands you. I mean, I can't tell you how many times throughout my my beginnings of ministry and working where I heard, you're not in the military anymore. You know, like mm. nobody told me, <laughs> you know, like right. I, I, you can, I, I, you know, that's just, you can't change what that has done to you, you know? And so, mm-hmm. but you, you're in this whole society that just doesn't get it, yep. Yeah, you know? And it's so frustrating. The, the very group of people that you were protecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Don't understand. Yeah. So how did you come back different? <laughs> Man, I, I went from, wow. I went from out, outgoing, you know, I was always the party guy, but you know, I went from being the party guy to be the party guy that was going to beat your head in. Mm-hmm. It was, I, there was a, you know, I was always fun and happy and everything and in high school and all that good stuff. But when I came home, I was, I went through probably 10 years of just straight violence, mm. just rage and literally went on for 10 years. It, it took me six months from the time I got home, actually from the time I got out of the military, it took me six months before I was in prison. Um, wow. And you know, that was... Um, that, and it, it never clicked. It never clicked why mm-hmm. I was there. It never clicked what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So I just continued down the path and mm-hmm. until one day, you know, I had a whole bunch of kids all by myself. You know, I, uh, I got divorced for the second time and I had three kids and I was a single dad of three and it was like, Whoa, better stop this. And, mm. and those three kids actually stopped it. Um, you know, when you put them to bed, you know, I, I, I had a, uh, Gosh, I had an eight, eighth grader and two seventh graders all of a sudden. Wow. <laughs> and, yeah. So they, they stopped my anger, but that was, that was the biggest change. I became angry and I'm, I was never angry. I was always the happy guy, 
and yeah. it's still there, but it's it's a little more controlled nowadays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very similar. Um, you know, I I, I grew I, I left my house at eighteen, happy, smiling, you know, driven, dedicated. You know, <clears throat> um, I had just you know found faith for the first time, and things were looking very optimistic. Um, and I remember I got home and I was angry. I was, I, w- I was bitter and I would rage out. Uh, I would never physically assault anybody, but man, did I want to, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I think my, I think my, well, my, God sent me my wife to, to help me with that, you know, uh, but there were times I scared her, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not because I did something towards her, but because I would rage out in the middle of a highway because somebody, you know, uh, cut us off the wrong way. You know, mm-hmm. um, and I remember, um, you know, I, I just thought I was a jerk. I mean, I just thought for 15 years that, that I was just a jerk, a, a jerk to everybody. And that I couldn't keep a relationship outside of my wife going for more than two to three years. I mean, I was going from church to church, job to job, you know, um, and <clears throat> I, it wasn't until I had a Marine friend of mine 15 years after I got home. Uh, saying to me, have you ever got tested for PTSD? And I remember I laughed at him, right? Because I was in the National Guard. I was, you know, I I, I didn't see combat, uh, but I was in a combat environment, you know, but I never saw, you know, I never fired my weapon, never got fired at, Mm -hmm. you know. And yeah, some other things happened, but nothing that, you know, somebody who has an infantry experience would ever, you know, and nothing compared to that. But I remember I laughed at him and, and he said, and he, he pushed me to go get tested. Uh, and, and it wasn't until I got the diagnosis back that, um, that I finally accepted what had happened and, and how I had changed. And what, what is the reason why? Cause I hear this over and over and over again, two things. One is, but for the love of, I would not have ever gotten help. And I, I know, John, you've said that about um, mm-hmm. your wife, too. You know, now your kids and your wife, you know, and and uh, Larry, you know, about Heather. And, you you know, but for the love of someone who came alongside and said, life can't continue like this. Like, I want you to get help. What is it that stops? Because I know at this point, for the listeners, people are leaning in. Because they have a loved one right now that hasn't said, I'm going to go get tested, but they see it, right? And so right now, or maybe there are people who are saying, yeah, I've been told I should get tested too. What is the reason why? What's the resistance? I, I, well, I mean, it kind of kind of like that. You know, I was a reservist. That there, there's nothing here. You know what I mean? But I, honestly, I mean, I was... Uh, I worked. I worked a lot. Um, I was in construction for 30 years. I drove trucks. Mm-hmm. You know, I couldn't afford mm. to take any time off whatsoever to go to a doctor or to go to a CMP exam or mm-hmm. or any of that. It, there was no time um, mm. for me. And in a in a roundabout way, I kind of think that my I think my ex wives <laughs> multiple. Ex-wives, I think that, you know, they were, they were afraid. Um, They wouldn't wake me up. If Mm -hmm. I'm digging a foxhole on the floor, they let me, you know, the, my daughter, my, uh, I think at the time she was, she was probably 12. 
and she had had a bad dream and she came in and laid down with me. I slept in the living room on the couch and, um, and, uh, she came in and laid down on the couch with me. And I think her laying down on that couch sparked me. Um, and the next thing I know, I wake up and I'm under the Christmas tree and it was, you know, it's things like that, that, you know, you see that you're scaring people, but you, mm-hmm. you don't have time. I did not have time right. to, to go and see somebody or to, to get that help. You know, and before you say that about time and both of you didn't say it, but you said it, it really wasn't that right. It, like compared to <laughs> my experience and I, when, you know, working with especially uh, law enforcement, first responders a lot. Um, and they come in and we're, we're talking about some of the symptoms, right? This a- the angry outburst or the drinking or the drugs or the multiple failed relationships or whatever some of the symptoms are. And we're talking about that. And, you know, I, I know treading lightly on the whole topic of PTSD, you know, like, okay, who are they going to listen to? How do we know when it's time? And But one of the common comments that I hear is, this is just my job. This is what I do. I love what I do. Well, I didn't. Well, that's just part of all in a day's work. It's always sort of downplaying because that's quote, you know, part of the job or well compared to. And so you know, like, it's almost like, no, what I've experienced isn't valid because other people have experienced fill in the blank or, well, this is what I signed up for. I'm no hero. Somebody has to do it. And so there's almost like this downplaying of the significance of what you have experienced. And, and I know one of the things we say all the time here at Care to Change is that we don't get to define someone else's trauma. Trauma is trauma. Pain is pain. It doesn't matter where it comes from. doesn't matter what you see. Trauma is trauma. Whether it's one time, whether it's lots of times, whether it's for years, you know, it, it just is what it is. And unfortunately, in this line of work with military and first responders, that validation isn't given. Well, no, you got to remember two things, right? One, the military ingrains within each of their soldier, airmen, Marines, sailors, whatever, um, that, you know, you are only to forge ahead. Right. You don't, you don't have time to reflect. Mm. Uh, And the only time you do reflection is in an AAR. And that's mm-hmm. only so that you can get better, moving faster the next time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and you know, so and then too, they they you can actually get um, your your promotion can get halted if you go into um, a mental health facility. So it's really frowned upon to go get help. Now mm-hmm. I think the military is doing a little bit better about that today, right? Uh, but but still not because I know yeah. when people call us, they want to know. Are you going to send this to TRICARE because I don't want this on my record? Right. And I've got to come up with a way to pay for this because I don't want anybody knowing about this, right? Yeah. So the safest way Mm -hmm. was, you know, I was a chaplain assistant. I was the, I was the bodyguard for the chaplain. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, the safest way to get that was going through the chaplain because Mm -hmm. the chaplain was the only place you could go Mm -hmm. with confidentiality Mm -hmm. to where they, they, they were not you know, uh, chaplains could not share what mm-hmm. was said to them in a counseling session, which, you know, I, well, I thought was great, but also crazy at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, why didn't counselors have that same protection mm-hmm. that a chaplain had, <clears throat> you know, but so when we're out and when we're done with all this, that doesn't leave us, you know, like 
I don't need therapy. You know, I did what I did. You know, I, I, I went through the whole process. I, I did what I did. And things happened and things happened to me. But that's part of the gig. Right. You know, that, that I, I'm just happy. I was just happy to serve and defend, you know. And, and you, because you're so other focused, uh, you don't think about why it is that you're doing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You just want it to stop. You don't know how it stops. So you just ignore it. Until there, until there's some sort of a wake up call, like the final failed relationship, or like you said, waking up underneath, you know, the Christmas tree or whatever it is, there's some final straw that says, you know what, I can't, I can't continue this way. Something is going to have to change. And you cut, it's almost like you have to come to the end of yourself in a way. And that's a terrible way of saying it, but it's like, there has to be some sort of a wake up call to make change. You have to, there, right? I mean, there has to be something that says, yeah, I, I, I need to make it, I need to make a change. And for everybody, what that is might be different, right? So uh, just knowing, yeah, there, it's real. So for families who are listening that are begging their loved one to get help, it's not as easy as, yeah, just get help. There's so much behind the reason why there's some resistance to that. So get curious about what that is, you know, what is that kind of fear? Um, and fear is not a great word to use, I know, because, you know, military don't have fear, but th- there's something that stops, right? And getting curious about what that is. And I want to move into some some resources, because you're both sitting here, you're leading Productive Lives. Tell, tell the listeners what you're doing now, because the beauty of this is there's another side to this story, right? You're not, you're John, you're not going around beating people up now. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, um, and, and Larry, you've stayed married to Heather. So yeah. your angel, your sunshine, as you call her. And I know both of you speak so highly of your wives. I love the relationship that you have with your wives and how they've really supported you through this. And I know that's been a big piece of your story in this, but what, tell us what you're doing now. And if you are going to give the listener, some, some like do this, call this number. Here's the best thing you can do. What would you say to the people listening, both, both your fellow soldiers, right? But also the families who love them so much. What would you say to them? I know, well, with me, um, you know, my wife, you know, she's, she's the number, you know, the number one, she Mm -hmm. takes care of, she takes care of me. I mean, Mm -hmm. she really does. You know, the, the kids and the grandkids, they kind of all take care of me as well. And, you know, I started on a different path. You know, I, I work on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I work, that's my biggest thing is I work on me. You know, I work in an environment now where I work with veterans that are in that, in that hole. They, they, they've hit the bottom. Mm-hmm. Now I'm bringing them out. And that has been probably the the most therapeutic for everything. It mm. it increased my anxiety and and things like that when I first started it, and it's still there. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, not gonna lie, my heart's racing right now, and I'm looking at it. But you know, that was that's been what I've done to kind of get myself back to I don't want to say normal, but mm-hmm. you know, a better version of what I was, and. It, it's been it's been her it's been the kids it's been work it's been meditation mm-hmm. um that's been a, a big part of uh what i've been doing it's my hour and 10 minute commute by myself in the mm-hmm. car to go from 18 years of driving a truck uh by myself which was great 
um, you know, highly, highly recommended, uh, mm-hmm. as, as a therapy, you know, therapy, it, it really, the driving for me is probably one of the biggest thing. I've recently bought a motorcycle and boy, let me tell you what, that's fun. Mm. And that's been my big help. But, you know, with, with my clients, um, when there is some sort of breakdown, you know, uh, I send them, you know, almost first call is, is the VA, mm-hmm. you know, fifth floor, let's go talk to somebody. Let's mm-hmm. get you, let's get you where you need to be just because that is the, that is the centralized resource for most of my veterans. Um, they're, you know, most of my veterans come out of Indianapolis area. So I try to connect them with the VA and the VA social workers as, as much as possible because it's just the closest ones for them. But right. there's so many other resources out there for mental health that, mm-hmm. you know, if, if, if one phone call is made that to, to even, you know, to care to change here and, you know, to, to some of these others up in like Hamilton County had, uh, had a really nice one up there that I spoke with, you know, if one phone call can change mm. so much, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I would love to see, I'd love to see more of it. Uh, just, but I don't, I honestly, I think there needs to be I, in my world, we need more of a compendium of, of what's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is, that's why they go to the VA is because that's the number one thing that they think of. Right. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think number one, the veteran crisis hotline, uh, John, you know, that number by heart, right? Nope. You don't never, I've not, not once have I had to use it, thankfully, no, uh, Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it does sit on my desk on a little right, trifold. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, look, if you call any VA, <clears throat> Because I have called the VA thousands of times for care and stuff like that. The very first thing that automated voice tells you, if you're having thoughts of suicide, push one now, right? And <clears throat> so that will take you straight to the crisis hotline. Walk into an American Legion. Walk into a VFW. Go to your VSO. Um, Hendricks County, uh, the county that we all live in, <clears throat> is unique in the fact that we have a website full of helpful mm-hmm. uh, resources. Uh, and uh, April, I can't remember the name of the website right now. It, it was on County Children's Health Bureau. Partnership yeah. um, Resource Guide. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it has everything from A to Z and anything that you can need help with, right? right? But <clears throat> as far as advice goes to people listening, you know, and I think this is true for both families of veterans and veterans themselves. Mm-hmm. Do not isolate. Yeah. Don't. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> because, you know, I was going through my stuff and I thought, this is just on me, right? Uh, and what I found out later is that Heather and my family <clears throat> were going through the same types of emotions and they thought it was on them, mm-hmm. right? <clears throat> I can't tell you how many people, after I uh, admitted that I had PTSD, how many people in my family said, oh yeah, we've known for a while, we just never said anything. Well, why not? <laughs> you know? Now, granted, I probably would not have responded. I was getting ready to say, yeah. would you have really listened? Yeah, I, I may not have. I may not have listened. But you know, if, if you don't have somebody to open up to and to mm-hmm. share your emotions with and to get advice from, that's what you you know. The most important thing for me over the last four years of going through this journey of accepting my my PTSD and working through it, the 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 biggest thing that I've that I've had is what I what we call my tribe, right? right. People in my life who I know at a moment's notice mm-hmm. I could call up and they would be there. They would give me advice. John and Amanda are, are one of them uh, or two mm-hmm. of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, we are one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I have texted John on a number of occasions saying, dude, I don't know what to do right now. <clears throat> and I have, I have about five or six, seven numbers. Mm-hmm. And I've also given those numbers to my wife. 
mm-hmm. because my wife has permission um, to, if I can't realize what's going on inside of my head, to call those people for me on my behalf and saying, you need to check in on Larry mm-hmm. um, because he's not in a good space right now. So it's that connection with people yeah. that love you, that support you, that understand you, um, that will hold you accountable. I know that's part of your your stories too, and like hold you accountable and say, "Get up, it's time, um, get get some help." But in a way that it's not condescending or shaming. It's more like, "All right, we're going to do this right together," and they're both nodding. So that's I think what's important when you talk about reaching out, uh, because you know, in my world, world of therapy not every therapist is for every person. And so every therapist has their own sort of style and way. And it's important when someone reaches out, um, if they want to walk through, you know, like for you, when you're talking about PTSD, whatever, anxiety, whatever it is, to find one that the style works, one that's really trained in trauma and understands trauma, because this is something that's different than just a typical counseling, right? So really understanding what happens in the body and in the brain when you've seen and experienced a lot of this unsafety and all that goes along with that and to keep trying. So if the first person doesn't work, find another one, don't give up because you're worth it. What I, I, you know, it's like you've done hard things. You are worth this next hard thing. Right. And so that you can live like the two of you living. I mean, you have really full lives you're helping people. And so it's rewarding to see even what you're giving back to your fellow military families, you know, in supporting each other. I know you guys have come and spoken, like I said, at the beginning here, but to to get the help and to keep looking until I, I've heard you say several different places um, that you can call. And we're going to put those numbers in our show notes too, so that family members can call. And, and we have, you know, even on our team, we have a combat vet who's a counselor and for he's not in active duty now to give the safety of, oh, okay, where are these records going to go? If that's a concern, but also has been there. And so understands the language, understands what, what happens overseas and happens during, during war. And so find what works, right? Whether it's driving a car, driving a truck, driving a motorcycle, whether it's serving, whether it's getting your service dog, whatever it is, I think the important thing is to find the tribe, right? Yeah, yeah. To find your tribe. Both of you have said that, you know, your family, the people closest to you that are, are going to be there sort of taking care of you while you're working on yourself and, and doing what you're doing in life, giving back. And, I, and I'd have to just like kind of like as a final thing for me it, to that leaning in on my faith mm-hmm. has been really big for me. You mm-hmm. know, um, you know, I'm starting a, a new church right now about this whole idea of, uh, of just being together in community uh, and talking through those things that have hurt you, mm-hmm. those things that have provided trauma, not, and not just in the military, but in, in right, life in life. general, right? Right. <clears throat> so that you can you can find healing, right? Uh, through through Jesus Christ, right? And mm-hmm. I think I I can imagine where I would be if it wasn't for my faith, right? Right. How worse this would be how many marriages I would be on in or how, you know, or even the worst thought possible, which I don't even want to vocalize. Right. Uh, where I would be if it wasn't for my faith. Now, you know, and let's just say it, we know the, we know the suicide rates for veterans yeah. and how high they are. I mean, we know it, we know what the stats are. It's a hard thing to, it's a hard thing to admit, you know, right. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I lost a soldier to suicide 
um, when I got back from Iraq. And mm-hmm. it's something I will never forget. Yep. Ever. And you're not alone in that, right? I mean, the number of one is too many, but especially knowing that help is available, yeah. right? Um, and so we have to break this idea, this resistance that, mm-hmm. oh, I can't go, I can't go for whatever reason, right? We have to be able to offer solutions, real practical solutions that make a difference. And that's really why why we're here. So John, Larry, again, thank you is not enough, but thank you really for your willingness, not just to go and to defend us, but also to come back and to share the story, to live, to keep fighting for yourselves, fighting for your families. Just thank you uh, for your willingness to do this. I really appreciate, appreciate this so much. For our listeners, please take away that there are uh, people and places that will walk this journey with you so that you're not walking alone in this. Do not isolate, uh, like Larry said. And we will put some of those resources in our show notes. Please reach out to us. We will connect you with some of these resources. I know that both John and Larry would be happy to talk to you individually. So um, they're both nodding. So even if you're like, I don't want to call any place, but I really want to hear more from John or from Larry, they are willing and happy to talk to you especially. So please know that if you'd like to connect with them specifically, you can reach out to us and we'll we'll connect you so that you have have their information as well. Again, thank you um, listeners for listening, for caring enough about your loved ones to, to sit in on this conversation that's so important and affects so many people and so many families. We're just so honored that you're listening and honored to have these guests. Join us next week. The conversation will be somewhat similar in breaking free. It's breaking free from addictive behaviors. So we will be talking about how to break free from addictive behaviors, which we didn't even talk about, but we know they're both <laughs> laughing. Like we know where some people go with what it is that they've experienced. We didn't even talk about the level of drinking, especially, but all of the addictive behaviors really that go along with this. But uh, we're going to be talking about that next week. So join us, share this with your friends and family. Let us know what questions and comments you have. We'll put the care line number in our show notes as well. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Care to Change podcast, where we offer you practical solutions for positive change. We invite you to follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, LinkedIn, and YouTube to hear more about our conversation topics. Check out the show notes below to see resources mentioned in this episode. If you have any questions or would like additional information, please reach out to us on our care line at 317-979-7133 or email us at help at care2change.org. We thank you again and hope you will join us for more of our podcast conversations.